The second reading is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 30. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again you may be glad and I have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. May your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Well, good morning again. Did you um, enjoy uh, hearing the next bit of Act 16 and uh, the story of the conversion of the jailer and his family? It's... It's good to just remember these are all the things that happened in Philippi uh, as Paul first came. Well, today in this little section of Philippians, our focus is on sacrifice. And I've got two points. Sacrifice for Jesus, sacrifice for others. Sacrifice for Jesus, sacrifice for others. Sacrifice is a powerful word, isn't it? Very powerful word. Um, I found some definitions, uh, because it's always good to refresh yourself. 
Uh, this one's pretty obvious, an offering to a deity. It's pretty obvious that that's what a sacrifice is. I think most people would, would have that. But here's another one. Giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or more worthy. We've probably really all got a pretty good idea of what sacrifice means. We know, don't we, in the Old Testament that there were many types of animal sacrifices as well as various other types of sacrifices which paid the penalty for sin. And we certainly know that Jesus' death on the cross was a sacrifice and a substitute for our sin. And it's through that that we have redemption. Inherent in the understanding of sacrifice is death. That's inherent. If not physical death, then it's about figuratively putting something we value to death. In the very least, inherent in the definition of sacrifice is loss and discomfort. Loss and discomfort. I would say that you would certainly have no understanding of sacrifice if you thought it was all about comfort and ease. It's certainly not that. In verse 17, Paul says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He says, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering. So I do just want to spend a little bit of time looking at what a drink offering was. The first thing is a drink offering was pretty common. Uh, It could be either water or wine. And it generally accompanied uh, a much larger sacrifice to complete it, if you like. It wasn't just placed on the altar in a vessel. It was poured out. And the act of pouring out went to the very end until all the liquid was gone. Poured out as a libation. You kept pouring to the last drop. And it wasn't just some of your best wine, therefore. It was all of your best wine. So those of you who've got a grange in your cellar, (laughs) it's all of your grange, gone. Poured out. The very best poured out. Paul is saying here that he is being poured out as a libation. He's really spent here. He's giving his all. His commitment to the welfare of the Philippians takes him to the bitter end, the very edge. Now, last week, I took you back to the previous week. Today, I'm going to take you back to last week one more time. Uh, because I think it's important that we always have in our mind the continuity of what we're reading and what we're thinking about. Last week we looked at the great hymn of Christ, Philippians 2, 1-11, and the humility that Jesus showed in not only coming to earth, giving up glory, but in going all the way to to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the model of humility and sacrifice. And here we are today... Right in the next verses. So this is still just the next stroke of the pen for Paul. It's the next stroke of the pen. And Paul is saying he is poured out as a libation for the sake of the Philippians and he's rejoicing in it. You see, he's just talked about Jesus' humility and sacrifice. 
And he's saying, and I too am being poured out as a libation. He's doing exactly what he's exhorting the Philippians to do as together they look to Christ. So in that context, let's start at verse 12. Do you notice the first word? Therefore. That's a, that's a hint. That's a hint to look at what's just been said, which is why we have. But that great hymn of Christ talks about Jesus' humility and death and his exaltation and the response that is to be because of that exaltation. You, you remember what the response was? Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. You see, it's not merely a spiritual response, is it? It has to be a physical response. Do you see it? The knees bending, the tongue confessing. That is a physical response. It's not merely spiritual. And Paul says, therefore, how do we work this out? How does it all work out? Well, the simple and complex answer is it works out over the course of a lifetime. It works out over the course of a lifetime. Yes, we respond, but we go on responding. Living a life for Jesus, living a life following Jesus, modelled on him, is a privilege and a responsibility that we have to work at. Now, I want to be very clear here. It doesn't say work to get your salvation. It does not say that. Jesus has already done that. The completed work on the cross has achieved our salvation, the free gift of God's grace. It does not say work to get your salvation. What it says is work out your salvation. In other words, make it work in your life. Make it work in your life. Salvation is real and living. Let it be that. Let it be that. Let it work for you. And the great thing is that we're not working on our own. Do you see what it says? Verse 13. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We're not working it out on our own. He works with us and with our doing. Paul is letting us know that this is an incredible incentive to keep on going. God's work with us has not finished at the cross. He graciously continues to work with us as we grapple with the process of discipleship. As we grapple with what it means for us to be a disciple. But you know what? I so love Paul's practicality here. I wonder if he might have had a smile on his face when he got to this next bit in verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. How practical is that? How practical. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, as I was thinking about this, it was interesting because I realised... That when we grumble and argue, what do we use to do that? 
our tongue. Our tongue. Don't we? As we saw the reality and the truth of who Jesus is and what he did, what were our tongues supposed to do? Back in verse 11, 10, 11, what is our tongue supposed to do? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the irony here? Grumbling and arguing focuses on me. Acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord takes the focus off me and puts it where it should be, on Jesus. But there's a problem associated with that. It's a very real problem and we need to deal with this real problem. You see, how am I going to let people know that I've been really busy doing things for the kingdom if I don't whinge about it? Seriously. How are people going to know? How are you going? Oh, I'm feeling a bit tired, really. I've been so busy with church stuff this week. You know how it is. You know, I've been cooking a couple of meals for people and doing something else for somebody in my connect group. It's, I've you know, squeezed it in around other things. Yeah, a bit busy. You know, be nice to have a break. Really? And that makes me think of the Israelites in the desert. Do you remember what happened? God graciously rescued them from tyrannical Egypt. But then they got to the Red Sea. What did they do? Whinge, whinge, whinge. God got them through the Red Sea. They rejoiced for a couple of days, but then what happened? Whinge, I'm thirsty. You're better in Egypt. Why did you bring us here, Moses? And then God provided water. Then what happened? Whinging again. I'm hungry. God provided food. <laughs> it just went on. Whinge. You see God's provision, but then they go back to whinging. Grumbling. Focus is on them, not on the one it should be. Well, I think the whinging Jews might have even beaten the whinging Poms, but by the way, I'm, I'm half Pom. I'm half a Pom. But is there any room for whinging Christians? Is there any room for whinging Christians? Absolutely not, says Paul. Absolutely not. He's saying do everything without grumbling or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure. How good is that? Wouldn't it be great to be blameless and pure? Then I wouldn't have talked about whinging palms if I was blameless and pure. <laughs> so often we use whinging and grumbling to get the focus back on us. Because we believe deep down that it is all about us. Selfishness so often rears its ugly head and takes over. And at the heart of selfishness is... Sin. Sin. And Jesus came to deal with sin, which means that Jesus has dealt with selfishness. So why do we keep bringing it back to centre stage? Because we forget that at the heart of Christian living is sacrifice. 
We sacrifice our lives for him, for Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's all about what he has done, and it's all about helping others to see what he has done. Living for Jesus without grumbling is a way of showing him to others. Living for him without grumbling or arguing is a way of being different in this warped and crooked generation. So instead of whinging about this warped and crooked generation, let's just live the way we should in it. And when we do that, what's the result? We become like stars shining in the sky. Which is beautiful. Who doesn't like looking at the stars shining in the sky? There is beauty. And of course that's an allusion to being a light in the world. Jesus called himself the light of the world. But he also said that we must shine as lights in the world. There's something very attractive about light, isn't there? Something very attractive. Light shows us the way. Uh, when we had all our family still at home with us and there were five adults in the house, we had a system with lights so that whenever any one of us came home late, we had a system with the lights. Um, did you do that in your house? <laughs> So we lived in a two-storey house and so we had this system where we would leave the porch light on then when, when any of us came in the front door the two-way switch would turn that off and then you'd go, the stairway light was on and you could turn that off at the top of the stairs but then the other lights before going down to the bedroom they were only single light, there were no two-way switches so that would have been inconvenient. So all we did was we left the bathroom light on which gave enough light for people to get to their bedrooms. The light showed the way. Do we shine like stars in the sky, holding to the word of life so that other people can find the way? Do you do that? Let's quickly finish off chapter 2. These last few verses focus on Paul's co-workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. What a great guy Timothy must have been, hey? For Paul to say, I have no one like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. What a blessing to have a person in his church like that. I have no one like him. And what a blessing for there to be a leader like that. Paul is talking here about Timothy's integrity and authenticity as a Christian. Timothy follows Jesus closely. Just as we can use Paul as a model, we can also use Timothy as a model. The reason we can do that is because they both use Jesus as their model. Yes, they are fallen human beings, but they are good examples of functioning discipleship. That's what I've chosen to call it, functioning discipleship. Yes, they are fallen but they're living the life well. Can I ask, who is it in your life 
who you can look to as a model of functioning discipleship? Who is there in your sphere? Be on the lookout for people like that because you're going to need them. Are there any people like that among your friends? People who function well as disciples. And are you on the way to that? Because all of us are on the way. Are you on the way to that for others? Paul can say that Timothy has proved himself because he's seen it firsthand. They've served together in gospel ministry. Paul is convinced of Timothy's trustworthiness. So he's pleased to be able to say that he will send Timothy to them soon. But he also speaks about Epaphroditus in the same way. The Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to Paul to help in his time of need and to take a gift. Epaphroditus was a great example through his suffering for others and he nearly died through coming to visit Paul and bringing that gift from the church. Paul is so grateful that God spared him So that on his return there would be great joy, but also great honouring. He's telling the Philippians to honour Epaphroditus because of what he has endured for the gospel and done for God's people. Do we honour people like that in our own church life? Do we honour people? Do we do it enough Do you honour the people who influence you? How often do you tell someone else how much you appreciate them? How often do you speak words of encouragement into someone else's life? How often do you say thank you to the people who do the invisible stuff? Do you know the names of people on the cleaning roster of this church? I want to encourage you that if you don't, find out. Thank them. Encourage them. Another invisible job. Lexi's at the back there, making sure everything works for us today. That's an invisible job because it's working. But Lexi's there making sure. Have you thanked her and encouraged her? And said, wow, thank you for giving up your freedom to worship so that we can be free to worship. Do you honour and uphold our mission links that we have every week? Maybe even send them a note to say that you're praying for them and that you're so grateful for what they're doing. You see, a functional Christian life, one where we are working out our salvation, is a life that serves sacrificially. A life that serves Jesus sacrificially and a life that serves others sacrificially. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become pure and blameless. Friends, as we work out our salvation, 
Yes, we sacrifice because Jesus sacrificed. We do it for him and we do it for others. Amen.